This is what I've been saying, the three L's, listen, learn, and lead. The advisors to do that are the advisors that are going to win. The value of bespoke advice has never been higher. You're listening to Coindesk's On Purpose with OnRamp CEO Tyrone Ross, a licensed investment advisor and powerful storyteller. Tyrone has a passion for digital assets and their ability to disrupt our current way of life. This show is for advisors by advisors. Advise on purpose in the arising realm of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, Tyrone Ross. All right, welcome to another episode of the On Purpose podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Ross, CEO and co-founder of OnRamp Invest and satellite member of the Coindesk family. Uh, fresh off the heels of the Bitcoin F8 conference yesterday. I want to jump right in here because I have a very, very, very special guest, a man that I admire, like myself, fight for those that are underserved. So I want to get right to it. Ray, Yusuf, wonderful to have you on. Thank you for joining me here. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's my honor and privilege to be here. Awesome. So there's so many ways we could take the conversation. I love the fact that you fight for human rights and those that are disenfranchised all across the world. And this is, you know, obviously a crypto podcast, but the audience is a little different here is, you know, Coindesk is embracing the registered investment advisor market. So for those who don't know you, talk a little bit about your background, what you do, and, and how you come to fight for those that are underserved. My name is Ray, Ray Youssef. I was born in Egypt and my parents came to America when I was about two years old to New York for the promise of a better life. So I grew up in New York in a pretty rough time in the uh, 80s and 90s when it was very different New York than what you see right now. It was kind of like the Marcy Projects, but the whole city was like that back then. Quite the trip. I learned how to do business <laughs> on the streets. It taught me a lot of really important lessons about how important the streets are and how connecting to humans is what business is all about. I learned that from my mother working in our newsstand on uh, Columbus Circle. I went to college, majored in history, but then I started making websites, got my first computer at 19, and I taught myself how to code, and I just became a serial entrepreneur, which so I really couldn't work for anyone else, and I always had a hunger for solving problems. I had about 14 startups in my life, and nearly all of them were peer-to-peer. -peer. My first startup was a peer-to-peer -peer ringtone startup in 1999, which was uh, quite successful, oh, wow. and, uh, so I've been, and I, after that, I just did peer-to-peer -peer everything. So when I found out about peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, I was really excited because every single startup I ever had, you know, you build a great product, you get product market fit, but the problem, the biggest problem besides product market fit is always billing. Like, how do you actually get paid for stuff? Yeah. And, you know, almost every startup I had, like my first startup was ringtones. It was actually dealing with an unbanked population since teenagers wanted ringtones. They didn't have bank accounts. They would have to steal their mom's debit card and put it in a charge. So, you know, the challenge of billing has always been central to my life. When I discovered Bitcoin, I saw that finally here was something that could actually solve this problem, that could actually allow people to, to pay for things easily and allow merchants, people building platforms, products to get paid. I thought it was great. So I began to go further and further down the rabbit hole. I met my co-founder at the first Bitcoin meetup I ever went to. And Paxil was born through a series of desperate episodes. Uh, I actually was homeless in New York seven and a half years ago. Oh, wow. 
yeah, because you know, I went through all my startups. I had like 10 failures in a row, a little more, actually maybe 11, depending on how you consider a failure. And uh, the last one was this Bitcoin POS for retail merchants. It didn't work because it wasn't solving a problem that existed. And I you know, went through my savings. Me and my co-founder ended up surfing couches. I had no place to live at all for a few months in New York City during the winter. And, you know, I was forced into a very humble state. I had to reach out and talk to the only person that was listening or could help me. And that was God. And I did. I was humbled. I asked for help and I surely got it. Seven years later, I'm not homeless anymore. And I'm helping other people put a home over their family. And it's beautiful. So Paxwell was born because I came to realize two things. That money is not gold, silver, or paper. It's just human work. If you're young, if you're able to work, you have ambition, talent, skill, and you want to put it into use, then you should automatically be wealthy. You should have money. Mm-hmm. So all currency is, is money that is just captured, that is wrapped up in something, a marker of value that transcends time and space. So I can use the value of my work to exchange it for other things that I might need. It's a beautiful invention, actually, but it's been highly corrupted. And it's been corrupted because we're drowning in a sea of lies about what money actually is. So once I figured out what money was, I began to realize the other big revelation in my life, and that is the default state of humanity is abundance. It is prosperity. It is wealth. If you just leave humans alone with an honest system of money, then the result is just going to be runaway prosperity. Humans are going to make themselves rich. They're going to solve all their problems. Human ingenuity is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like crazy talk, but every, you can, there's so many examples throughout history of this. One of the best examples is the American colonies, 13 colonies in America. These were colonies. Dudes just got off boats, had to chop down trees to make houses. Rough, rough life. Yet they had a better standard of living than a nobleman in France. King George found out about it, called over Benjamin Franklin and say, what's going on? How are you guys doing so well over there? You don't have any gold or silver or anything. What's the reason for this? And Ben said, hey, we have colonial script. It's not backed by gold or silver. It's just backed by the work of the people. You had less than 1% unemployment. And it was just everyone was happy. And once King George found out about that, he said, well, no, you guys are going to have to take British pounds right now. But don't worry. It's backed up by gold from the Central Bank of England. Ben had no choice but to put this into effect. And a year later, unemployment was at 60%. Why? Because it went from an honest system of money to a corrupted system of money, a dishonest system of money. And the result was the American Revolution. It wasn't because of a tax on tea. It was everyone was losing their jobs. The economy was plunging. And it went from colonial script. Was, all it was was just paper that was backed by real human work that was honestly measured and created. And the government balanced the amount of money in circulation with the amount of potential work that could be done. And that is the greatest creative opportunity of any government and that's what i learned guys that this journey has taken me to that point and everything i do right now rides off those two very simple beliefs love it so so deep and this is what i love about how you came to bitcoin and and peer-to-peer money and looking at it you know similar to myself is what happened to me growing up in a home you know that was unbanked um not really a fan of that term um but i'll say underserved for the most part um, and being the first in my family to finish high school, you aren't taught about money. Awesome. Money is something that is in one hand and out the other. And you're not taught 
anything about it, but it's except for the fact that it's scarce. But yeah. one of the things that I love that you do is you shift that mindset, because that's the other thing that I think Bitcoin and, and, and crypto economics does. It, it creates this immediate mindset of abundance, of possibility of what's there. And I love how you create that. So let's dig in right now to what it is that Paxful is doing to create that financial accessibility and inclusion and ultimate abundance for people, um, you know, all over the world. Yeah, so it's a it's a multi-tiered job, right? I mean, so let's talk about what Paxful is first. So Paxful is, is basically barter for money. It's a, like an order book, a listing service like Craigslist. You know, you can go there and say, hey, give me a $100 Amazon gift card and I'll give you back 80 bucks worth of Bitcoin in exchange for it. And vice versa, you can say, hey, you know, give me uh, $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and I'll send, you know, 999 US dollars to you know your bank account to pay you for it or I'll pay an invoice for you in Europe or whatever it is right so basically what what this barter for money service does what this people powered marketplace does is it almost gives every human being a kind of universal translator for money in that anyone can get some bitcoin if they have a gift card cash an online wallet anything they can use anything to get some Bitcoin. Once they have that Bitcoin, they can literally exchange that Bitcoin for anything else. Meaning I can put in a PlayStation gift card, get some Bitcoin, then sell that Bitcoin for an Xbox gift card or a PayPal deposit in the UK or a cash deposit in Cambodia or a bank transfer in Germany. Anyway, and we support 400 of these payment methods, right? So because it's peer-to-peer, literally any form of money anywhere can go in and any form of money anywhere can go out. It basically opens up the entire world of money to everyone using this people-powered network. If you've heard of Hawala, Hawala is the Arabic word for money transfer. I'll mention some history here. It puts things into context here, right? So Hawala came to be, it's 1,400 years old, and it came to be to solve a problem. The Roman Empire at the time did not allow the concept of agency, meaning I could not accept money on your behalf or send money on your behalf. You had to do it directly. Right. And when you're trying to run a multinational business, like you're buying carpets in Iran, selling them in Milan, buying wine and selling it, in, you're moving around doing this. You need the concept of agency because you can't be everywhere at once. Right. So these Muslims got together and they created this peer to peer network. They said, hey, let's transact on each other. Let's use our family relations all over the world and let's set up this network where we can help move money around for each other. And don't worry, you know, we can trust each other because these are family relations and also. The ultimate arbiter of trust in this case was, you know, the religion and that they had this holy book, which they considered the first immutable ledger, the Quran. And, but, you know, lo and behold, now we have this other immutable ledger. It's called the blockchain. And we can send out this peer-to-peer money network to the entire world, regardless of their race, religion, wherever they might be. So this is a continuation of a 1,400-year-old struggle right now. And the potential is, again, we can give anyone anywhere in the world, whether they have a bank account or not, access to every single financial network on the planet, whether it's a bank in Switzerland, an online wallet in China, an online wallet in in Africa, whatever it might be, anyone can access any financial network anywhere. The result of that is is just going to be wealth because the biggest problem in the world is what I like to call economic apartheid. And we in the West have a very hard time understanding what economic apartheid is. So I'll give you some examples. If you're in Nigeria and you've got money in the bank and you get a 
Visa or MasterCard debit card from your bank, you're limited to $100 a month you can spend with it online. Can you imagine 100 bucks? all the plastic in your wallet? You can't even buy an Xbox with that. Wow. You're, you're lucky to buy two games with that. If Africa has 2,000 payment networks from banks, online wallets, et cetera, only 3% of them talk to each other. M-Pesa is the biggest, you know, it's the first and well, mm -hmm. almost the first mobile money processor in the world. And they're huge in Kenya. And they exist in seven other African countries. But if you're an M-Pesa user in Kenya, you cannot send money to an M-Pesa user in Ghana. And it's the same network. Again, why? There's, there's a lot of, you know, broken, <laughs> there's walls everywhere because of, you know, regulation, broken compliance, international pressure, whatever it might be. All those systems do not speak with each other, right? If you are in Nigeria and you want to make a payment outside of the country, you might not be able to do it. In 2017, the Central Bank of Nigeria said, hey, no more outgoing wires are allowed for you normal people. Only the billionaires can do it. Because they wanted to hold on all to the dollars and euros for themselves. And then all the business people and just normal folks could not transact outside of the country. Their money was trapped in Nigeria. They were cut off from the rest right. of the world. That's financial apartheid. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, those Nigerians are corrupt. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of them that are corrupt, but the real pressure is coming from outside of Nigeria, meaning the central bankers in Europe are telling them, hey, man, if you don't have enough our euros and dollars that you're holding on to, well, guess what? We can destroy the exchange rate of your currency, right? Because your money is not as good as our money. So they hold a gun to the heads of those governments as well. So it's not fair just to pile up all the blame on them. The situation is quite complex. I'll stop it right there, brother. That was quite a bit. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's game, right? And, and that's why I love you so much in the stories that you tell. I want to go back, you know, to the beginning of what you were saying. I'm Caribbean. So, and again, you talk about New York City, you know, anything about Brooklyn and being Caribbean, there's a susu, right? All of my Caribbeans out there yeah. feel me, right? And I talk to people about that all the time. Trustless. The only reason why we're able to do this peer-to-peer -peer network is because our culture's the same. We ride the bus together. We work together. We eat the same foods. There's no KYC, AML. It's just the fact that I know you need to pay rent. You know I need food. There's 10 of us. We each going to put in this air quote hand. We're all going to get that pool at a scheduled time, right? And we may add you know, money to it to make it bigger or smaller or whatever. I mean, that's how my family got everything they had when they came to this country. So it's so funny how, again, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But I think if you really dig into history and culture, you look at crypto and you have to embrace it. I call it the gravity of social justice, right? It's digital social justice. It brings financial services to people that have never had it and brings them into a new era where the legacy financial institutions continue to ignore those at the bottom and will continue to. And especially here, people are always like, well, you know, Tyrone and they talk about different continents and areas. I fight for the people right here, the 68 million that are what our country says is underbanked and unbanked. Again, I say underserved. The half of the people in the South Bronx, right? They don't have bank accounts and we don't have a real-time payment system in the United States of America. That's a joke, right? So I think right here in these borders, there's so much that we can fix with our financial system, but it's really good to illuminate a lot of what the history is. So we could bring a lot of that forward. So moving now into this, which, which I really wanted to talk to you about is, I think you would agree with me that 
we know this isn't going away. We believe in it wholeheartedly. We believe it's going to change the world and bring so many people into the financial system. Is there anything that you feel like, especially from those like yourself that have very large voices and, and speak on this a lot, do you get frustrated at all like I do that what you just mentioned about being able to, you know, 400 different ways to on-ramp and off-ramp, that that gets lost and people are still saying in 2021, what's the crypto use case? What's the Bitcoin use case? It's super frustrating to me because I feel like there's so many examples of this, but folks just want to chase the price and not really focus on, you know, how the overall technology is changing the world. But we we'll love your thoughts there because it gets really frustrating for me sometimes because it's, it's clear as day. Wow. Be careful there, brother. You might have just opened up a can of worms, which <laughs> take us all down. <laughs> I, I won't keep it too long. But yeah, brother, I, I feel I feel your pain there completely. You know, speculation and this focus on price and all of these essentially scams have eaten up so much of the bandwidth of this space. They almost entirely consume the narrative. And then over here, you've got all of these people in the emerging world, and I'm giving a special shout out to the Western Africans, particularly the Nigerians, that have been faced with such immense problems that we can't imagine. And they hear about this Bitcoin thing, and they hear about all the scams happening on crypto, and they still have the courage to type Bitcoin into the search engine, start exploring, start learning, put some money into it, and actually have the, engine, the immense ingenuity, intellect, and resourcefulness, and the stamina to power through and they found a way for to use Bitcoin to literally solve every single problem that they have. To such effect that the Nigerian central government bank had to basically forbid all crypto businesses from, from having bank accounts or banks doing any business with them. That's how effective the youth of Western Africa were in creating their own financial system using this magical internet money, this peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. And everyone in the space should be screaming about this at the top of their lungs. Kid, it gets lost and buried. And that's why I will always be an advocate for this. Here at Pax, we've been working for over six years in the background. You know, our number one value is stay connected to the streets. Me and my co-founder, we went to Nigeria. We went to Lagos. We met with the people. We listened to them. We, we sat with them. We taught them first how our system works. And then they taught us. This is the key. Everyone, you know, we talk about Africa. People don't understand how resourceful and brilliant those people are. Like the greatest natural resources of Africa are in these young peoples and in their minds. They are absolutely brilliant. They will find a solution to everything. They do not need aid packages and whatever else you know, in the West are throwing at them. They just need a path. And now they have that path and they have literally pioneered it to solve every single problem that they have with money. And let us make no mistake. The money problem is the problem to solve. And it's not that there's not enough money, it's that the money system is, you know, basically anti-human, right? Yeah. And Bitcoin solves that problem with an emboldened and educated population, right? And that, there is no better example of that than what is happening in Africa right now. And the entire emerging world to a large extent, you know, I'll give special props to India, Vietnam, mm -hmm. Venezuela, Argentina. I mean, there's Colombia. I mean, there's, there's so much El Salvador, of course, right? But the peoples of Western Africa, they were the ones that taught us at Paxful what the true killer app of Bitcoin is. And I'll say it here again. Killer app of Bitcoin is not another asset class for rich kids to play with and speculate on. There's enough of those to go around. Killer talk, app that of talk. Bitcoin. talk that talk. Talk that talk. Yes, sir. 
the killer app of Bitcoin is it's a vehicle. It's a clearing layer for exchange of everything. All other forms of money, if they want to jump across borders, if they want to transform into a different shape, whether it's an online wallet, cash gift card or whatever, Bitcoin is the juice that makes that happen. Bitcoin mm -hmm. is the liquidity to make that happen. Bitcoin with Lightning is slowly, and if I have anything to do about it quickly, replacing SWIFT. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to saturate the whole world overnight. If Bitcoin can just do that for Western Africa, my goodness, that'll change the world. And then it, all of Pan-Africa, forget it. It's done. You're going to see the entire African continent take off like a rocket ship. It's going to make everyone like his head spin. People cannot imagine what is coming. And I, you know, six years ago when I was saying the Africans were going to lead Bitcoin adoption, everyone literally laughed in my face. They were saying things like, I have the tweet saved. They're going on my wall one day. They were saying things like, oh, the Africans only make $2 a day. How can they do anything with Bitcoin? The Africans can't figure it out. It's too complicated. And now <laughs> Africa's leading global Bitcoin adoption by a country mile. Nigeria yeah. is dominating. Like, what the, like, so imagine what's going to happen in another six years. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and again, most important market and continent in the history, but just right now, as far as crypto is concerned. And again, I, I, I love that perspective because it all blends together, right? And humanity, and like you said, is, is being anti-human. That's so powerful because, again, looking at all of the money that is, stays in this pool and credited investor laws and, again, Swiss bank accounts and all these other things going back from the beginning of time. Another thing that I think here that I would like to talk to you about, because, again, for me, is something that I rant about all the time on Twitter is financial education around money, what money is, what you can do with it, the digital divide that we have, the resources that we have to simply just make it commonplace for people in their every day. And here we make it this thing that you have to look a certain way. You got to go to a certain school. You have to have a certain job. And listen, I, wa I watched my mother and father struggle. My mother and father, the best financial planners I've ever come across, right? When you got to you know, stretch a 20 like it's Laffy Taffy, right? Like it, you can really find ways to educate yourself on the possibility of survival. So anyway, one of the things I'm a proponent of is we need to start financial education as early as possible, right? Studies show that children can pick up financial concepts at three years old, but yet, you know, we have almost half the states in this country that won't even bring to the table a mandatory personal finance class in high schools but what are you, your thoughts on that, especially here in the U.S., but across the world? Are you as fixated as well on bringing financial education and educating those on, on money as well in history, right? The history of money and period. I think all of this is so critical when we talk about the true power of money and how it could free people. Absolutely, brother. I mean, education is the key to everything. And the beautiful thing is that you, know, you can't educate people that don't want to be educated, right? That's the thing. Yeah. But hey go to Africa, go to the emerging world, folks want to be educated. They want to learn. They are making it happen themselves. So there's not much work to do in, in motivating people. They're very, very motivated. I was in Nigeria and I remember this one young lady came out from the kitchen of the Hilton. She was wearing her apron and she saw I had a Bitcoin cap on, built a Bitcoin cap. And she ran out and she said, teach me about Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, well, let me, let me tip you in Bitcoin. Her phone was broken, unfortunately. Uh, so she just wrote down her number on a crumpled up piece of paper and I couldn't help her that much on the first trip. But then the second trip, when we went there, I told her, Hey, Rachel, her name is Rachel. 
guess what? We just opened up a Bitcoin center here in Abuja down the street. Why don't you go there? They'll teach you everything you need to know. And they'll, they'll actually walk you through the entire process of getting your first Bitcoin and show you how to use it and what it's good for. And it worked. It happened. And it's happening every single day, right? So we are dedicated to not just online education, but on the ground education. Because the truth is, when you're dealing with something as important as, as finance, as money, yep. people need to see a human being in front of them, right? They, they need that. Otherwise, like you're going to put your life savings on this computer or this phone in this mm -hmm. weird new world. I mean, at least let me have someone smiling at me and some human warmth to walk me through the process, right? You absolutely need to do that. There's no way around that. So besides opening up those centers and putting real humans there, and by the way, we have some of the most awesome people you can imagine there. The next big thing is just becoming aware of the richness of our financial history. And you mentioned it before when you mentioned Isusu. So Isusu is one example of these essentially proto-banking structures that have existed for thousands of years mm -hmm. in Africa, in Asia, everywhere. For example, in Nigeria, it's called Isusu. In uh, Kenya, it's called uh, Chama. Mm -hmm. In South Africa, it's called Stockville. In, in uh, the Philippines, it's called Paluwagen, right? And there are these money rotation clubs. Essentially, it's borrowing and lending, but they all have different rules. You know, some rules can be everyone puts an equal amount this month, and every month one new person gets it based on this schedule. Yep. It can be different game rules attached. It can be different random variances attached. You can have different game mechanics attached to all of these things. And in fact, in African culture, there's already, I just, Isuzu is just one example of these money utilities. There's so many other proto banking services that exist. And just bringing that back into the light, like, hey, we don't have to settle for this Western predatory banking that has basically destroyed the world. We can go mm -hmm. back to our own honest systems and practices that yeah. have built civilization and gotten us back here. And the real thing is with DeFi, we can model all that out with smart contracts and put it up there. And I would encourage every true builder listening right now, if you're looking for your next big win, maybe you'll do an NFT of a cow pie and try to pawn it off for a couple million bucks, or you can actually build something that people need that exists and has real utility that people understand. And there's no shortage of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing it back to that and just tying it up here, because again, I, I, just looking forward to this again, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time, just admire your work and, and can speak to you about this for hours. But I, I want to end on this note because I think it's so incredibly important. Coindesk has a, a big market. Obviously you have a tremendous following, built a tremendous company. We're trying to do that same thing here on ramp to provide accessibility, you know, for an entire market that dominates wealth, but also getting access to freeing crypto, especially Bitcoin up, so they can get not only Bitcoin, but financial advice with that. As you just mentioned, the human touch is important here. One of the things that is really important, I think the way I look at this and being, you know, going through Wall Street and just looking at this chasm between the has and have nots, coming to Bitcoin the way I did where someone actually just sent it to me and it changed my life. Looking at the lack of financial education, looking at poverty and the scourge and the lack of just human touch in the world and knowing this is out there. I want to end on this note, if you would just go down this rabbit hole with me here. I believe in passion and purpose in all things. And one of the things that I realized that I have as a CEO as a company, and it's clear you realize this as well, is that those letters after our name and the platform that we have is to put more back into the world than we take from it. And we've been blessed to be in a situation that we're in 
to help millions of people survive and do better and ultimately thrive. So I just want to give you the floor to end the podcast to really just take however much time you want, two minutes, 20 minutes, I don't care, to just make that pitch to anyone that would be listening. Because again, I feel like if we reach one, we will ultimately reach all 7 billion of us. But I just want to give you the floor because you illuminate it so well, the problem and the solution, but the floor is yours. And I would love for you to just take us out on your thoughts to reach someone out there that may be listening, that may be a skeptic or someone that is just in of how this empowers and enriches so many lives. Thank you, brother. That was beautifully said. I heard your voice trembling with passion and with purpose there. <laughs> that all is inspiring. It's always infectious. Yeah. <sighs> Everything starts with the understanding that we have an immense opportunity before us right now. This is the first time in human history that we have had all the tools necessary to lift this yoke of economic apartheid from humanity. First time, Bitcoin is just one of those tools. All this has come together, this understanding of peer-to-peer as a concept that began with Craigslist and Uber, and now it's extending out to -to peer-to-peer for money. And we have this peer-to-peer electronic cash called Bitcoin. And then we have this amazing community of evangelizers, educators in the Bitcoin community. Some of them call them toxic maxis, but these people are warriors. They are holding down the fort. They are not letting any bullshit through. And at a time where there are so many brainwashed peoples who have just lost all interest in the truth and have just been saturated by apathy, to have a movement of people that are so strong and relentless will not compromise on truth at all. That is immense. So we've got these amazing assets now. And we have the last one, and I believe this is the big one, is that we have this youthful population of brilliant people, young people, that are driven to excel and succeed, and they are tired of the same old junk, and they are ready to move forward. And these young people are in Africa, they are in India, they are in Latin America, they are in Southeast Asia, and they are tired of this old world. We have the opportunity now to bring all these ingredients together and weave it around a system of products, financial products, that can tear down this wall of financial apartheid. And once that happens, the result is going to be wealth. When humans can actually transact with each other and put each other to work, creating more and more value, the result will be runaway prosperity, abundance. And when that happens, they can't throw us into wars with each other. Who wants to fight wars when we're all making money and doing well? And once they can't throw us into wars with each other, then their ability to grab and consolidate power ends and no one wants to believe their lies anymore. Because let's be honest, the first pillar of power that the bad guys took was the control of the money. That was the first one. And it started 2,000 years ago when the son of Mary came down and he embarked on his mission to stop, nip this thing in the bud before it took hold. And he fought a hard fight. He truly did. But as you can see, he had to get out of Dodge and it didn't work out too well then. And now the battle continues. And this germ of usury that was born then has mutated into something absolutely hideous right now. Levels upon levels of derivatives and usury, it's, it's beyond understanding right now. But we have the ability now to cut past all of that by building this new system. And remember, we are not against anything. We are not trying to shut down or destroy anything. We are building something new here. And if the old world wants to be a part of that, well, they can be one of the payment methods under all of that stuff. You're welcome to transact in this people's network too. It's for everyone. It's not for the just the 1%, not even the 99%. It's for the 100%. Everyone can use it. 
And we have the opportunity to build this thing now. So all the people out there wondering how can they be a part of this a revolution, this evolution, this will go down as the greatest period of human history, right? I think no one would argue that we're not in the end times right now because we truly are. We're seeing things right now that none of us could imagine that have only been prophesized by our grandparents and we made fun of them, right? But we're seeing it go down right before our very eyes. It cannot be denied. But we have the opportunity right now, thanks to the grace of God, to play a definitive, a pivotal, and a winning role in all of this. We will be the generation that brings this all together and strikes a blow for humanity. Incredible. Would it? Incredible. Incredible. We could we could end it right there. Ray, again, I've I've been following you forever. I'm I was so excited to have this conversation. I'm grateful for your love, your light, your purpose, and for sharing some of that with me and my audience. And this is the point in the show where I tell my audience, if you're listening and you've gotten anything from this, go to nokidhungry.org, help feed a hungry child, go to Feed in America, find a charity, go somewhere and give. Because at the end of the day, all healing can be solved by giving love and light. Ray, I appreciate you for joining me. We got to do this again sometime, if you don't mind. I'd love to meet you in person one day, but thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, brother. It's been my honor. You've been listening to On Purpose with host Tyrone Ross and guest Ray Youssef. The show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is Walk With Swag. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.